Well, God, we know that that is the, really the cry of our heart, that without Jesus we have no hope, but Jesus Christ is our living hope. And so, Father, today we pray that you would speak to us through your word, knowing that we uh, all in some way, shape, or form are going to feel overwhelmed maybe at times with this topic. Uh, and so, God, we pray that you speak to us through the power of your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have, I guess you've already been seated. I've been told that. But hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we're going to read this section of Scripture. And as we jump into Proverbs 3, I'm actually going to read uh, a section of it first, and we're going to jump back a couple verses. Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 13, and listen to what it says. It says, blessed is the man who finds what? What? Wisdom. All right. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. The, what? No. You're good. Sorry. We're not going to go through it. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable. This is talking about wisdom. She, wisdom, is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. And then jump back up to verse 9 and listen to what he says. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Today's subject or topic, while we're going to talk about financial freedom, is the idea that you and I are responsible for the gifts or the money that God has stewarded us with. And I want you to think about this. As I was preparing for the sermon, did you know that 96% of Americans are overwhelmed, suffer from stress or anxiety as a result of their finances? 96%. And while we deal with this subject and this topic, I really want to challenge you with God's Word so that you can begin to make financial decisions. Listen, not from what we're going to go into and say is a church perspective, but what is based on a biblical perspective. I believe wholeheartedly that the reason 96% of Americans are stressed are worried, are overwhelmed financially is because we don't follow the biblical principle with wealth, with money. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to ask this question very simply. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. How many of you, your parents taught you financial stewardship from a biblical perspective? Raise your hand. Okay, look around. That's about less than 10. Raise your hand that you were taught financial stewardship from a biblical perspective. That tells me this, that a majority of people were either taught how to deal with finances from a worldly perspective, or you weren't taught at all. That's usually the two realms that we fit into. As a matter of fact, uh, this week I saw a post on Facebook by uh, a young lady who posted and said, hey, if you could do anything to change the public school system, what would you do? And one of her friends chimed in and said, teach us how to financially budget, to prepare for rent, and to deal with the situations that go on financially. Because once you get out of school, I realized that I wasn't taught any of that situation. Now, let me explain something to you parents, okay? As a parent, as a parent who is raising up kids, you need to be instilling in, teaching your kids how to be financially smart. Because the reality is, 
If 96% of people suffer from stress and anxiety and are overwhelmed from finances, the truth of the matter is this. The reason that is the case is because we aren't taught a biblical perspective on our finances. So today we're going to unpack a number of things to really get to the heart of the question. Money is the top source of stress. As a matter of fact, in almost everyone's life, but I want you to understand this. If you're a millennial, all right, which we all know what the, the, the bad attitude or the bad uh, rep, reputation that some millennials seem to get over and over and over again. But a millennial was somebody who was born basically between 81 and 96, depending on who you talk about, 81 to 2000, stuff like that. But listen to this. The top three stresses for millennials, too much debt, inability to afford rent and the needs, and a difficulty managing a budget. Those are the top three things. Scenarios and situations that we end up dealing with. See, the way we handle our resources is really one of, if not the clearest indicators of our heart's spiritual spiritual condition. How I handle my finances indicates how my heart is going. Of the 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 are about how we handle money. Ever imagine that? That's over a third. That's almost half of the parables that Jesus taught, in some way teach us how to handle our money. So why should we study about finances? Why should we worry about money? Because our finances can either be a sign of surrender to God or they can be a sign of slavery to a world system that we've literally become slaves to. You have to begin to think about that. Did you know that the Bible has more than 800 verses that talk about the subject of money? Matter of fact, I challenge everybody, if you don't read the Bible, I would encourage you to read, at least start reading the Bible by reading a Proverbs a day. So like today is the 24th of March, you could read Proverbs 24. If you want to gain wisdom and understanding in how to make wise financial decisions, start with Proverbs. Because there are so much in Proverbs that you could gain. Dave Ramsey, I think, even says, you could gain a master's in finance if you just read Proverbs. Like, Operate your business, operate your financial life, operate every single bit of your personal finances in the basis that's laid out in Proverbs, and you would have an understanding of biblical financial stewardship. God gives us these instructions on money and finances because he knows that worry and materialism and greed comes into life. He also knew that it's going to be a problem in our relationships, The number one cause supposedly in divorce, I read this statistic, that 46% of all divorces are caused as a disagreement over money. Arguing, worrying, stressing, overwhelmed by the financial situation with which a couple is in, and so that leads to divorce. If, If money wasn't such a big topic, it wouldn't be that big a deal, but obviously money is a problem to a certain extent. Actually, the reality is, according to biblical perspective, that the love of money is the problem. Money's not an issue. Money's a good thing and money's a bad thing depending on how it's used. Money is not the problem. See, in today's world, and I'm even going to say this, and I don't care where you're at politically, but the reality is this, that people think that money's going to solve the issues. That's why we got the issues like we're going to steal from the rich to pay the poor, all right? Listen to me. That's an unbiblical perspective as well. Socialism is not a biblical perspective. I want to be very clear on that. Socialism is not a biblical perspective, all right? Hard work, biblical perspective, all right? 
giving, as a matter of fact, I'll even say this, as a person, as a son who had a dad who owned his own business, taking care of your employees, biblical perspective. Not being greedy, not letting greed dictate your direction and what you're going to do for your employees, biblical perspective. Okay? So I'm not trying to play a political position here, but I will be very clear that socialism, there is no room for socialism even in the Bible. The Bible says that. Socialism is stealing from somebody who's earned something and giving it to somebody who hasn't. That's called stealing. That's socialism. So wherever you line up politically, hear me out very clearly, that that is wrong. But greed is wrong as well. So we're going to be very clear in what we understand. But, but think about this, all right? If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. That wise living begins with obedience to God in my finances and intentional planning. I'm going to live wisely by beginning with obedience to God in my finances and intentionally planning with my money. How many of you are honest? You don't have to raise your hand. If you were honest, we'd sit back and say, we intentionally plan every bit of our money to be spent in some way, shape, or form. Okay, there's a couple. You didn't have to raise your hands, but there's a couple that are like, hey, dude, that's me. Listen to me. Regardless of what you make, if you intentionally plan your money, you will be successful. You may not be the millionaire, but God has given you the ability, the opportunity to make money as a result of the hard work that you've done, as a result of the gifts, talents, and abilities he's given you so that you could provide for your family, so that you could give generously to the church as well as to other organizations and people, and so that you can succeed in life all the way around. And you need to teach your kids to do this. So, wise living begins with obedience to God and my finances and intentional planning. So here's the question, how do I become wise financially? Now, I believe that there is something very simple about this. How do I become wise financially? Number one is this, transform how you think about money. Listen, for most of us, money is the end. It's it's like the need, it's the necessity. That's what we're working for when money is in reality just the simple gift from God as a result of what you're doing that money then should be used in a way that brings honor and glory to God in everything that you do. So I have to transform how I think about money. We're stewards of what God gives us. As a matter of fact, we talked about already that 38 of the 38 parables, 16, talk about how we handle money, but we can go back. You can look at Luke chapter 9. As a matter of fact, Luke chapter, sorry, not 9, chapter 19. Luke chapter 9, we've, we've talked about this. I did a sermon series or did a sermon on it earlier. Luke chapter 19 is the parable of the talents. When, when God uses this picture of the owner who gives out 10 talents to one guy and five talents to another and one talent to another guy, and he says, hey, go and take that. He says, put it to work, and I'm going to come back and I'm going to call. And the guy who had 10 made double, and he had 20. And the guy who had five made double, and he got 10. And the guy who had one, what did he do? Buried it. I hid it. Because I thought, I knew you wanted a return on your money, so I hid it so that you would not lose your money. And the problem is, is the approach with what took place. And so he takes from one and gives to the other. Anybody see an issue there? The one who had 10 had 20. Biblical perspective. This person put the money to work. Money is not evil. 
He put the money to work so that it would work for him, and as a result, he gained a double portion. And the one who had five, as a result, gained ten, but the one who had one hid it. Here's socialism for you. Socialism would say, well, take the ten from the guy who earned, or take, the, uh, take 19 from the guy who earned 20 and give it to the guy who did nothing with the one. Uh-oh. Now listen to me. If your worldview, if, number one, if you're mad with me, your worldview is what has dictated your view on money. Not a biblical view, your worldview. And your worldview is wrong from a biblical perspective because Jesus says, look, this is the way it is. So I have to transform how I think about money. Money is not the goal. The love of money is not the goal. Money is what helps you live. Your finances is what helps you get along in life. And your finances are what's going to be used by you, by the church, in order to see people come to the gospel. I hope you hear that out and played out in a big deal. So I have to transform how I think about money. So you have the parable of the talents. Then you have this parable of the shrewd manager in Luke chapter 16. The shrewd manager who, it literally says, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give account for your management because you cannot be my manager or be a manager any longer. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. And this shrewd manager basically uses the money in order to build relationships with people so he would be welcomed into their houses. Now, there's a number of things that take place there that we can begin to see, but what I want you to see is this, that when you use your money for God's kingdom, when you use your money for good purposes, things that God wants to accomplish through you, there's a relationship that's built with other people. And so we're going to jump into transforming how we think about it, but I want you to think over and over and over, money is not the goal. Money is the means by which the church, that's the people of God, reach people for the kingdom. I hope you hear that out. Money is not the goal. Being rich, being loaded is not the goal, but money is the means by which the church, the people of God, reach people for the kingdom. See, here's the problem we have today that we didn't have 50 years ago, and I'm just going to lay this out, and I understand where you may line up. Number one, retirement money was guaranteed 50 years ago. It's not. So you can cry about it, or you can get on with life and be financially prepared. Number two, identity theft didn't exist. Nobody had the technology to steal your identity. Anybody ever dealt with uh, your bank? Again, don't raise your hand or anything. Dealt with your bank or a credit card calling you up, hey, uh, we think we got some fraudulent charges on your account. That's a form of identity theft. They, in some way, shape, or form, got your information, used it, abused it, and now it's saying that you bought something online or maybe at a store or something like that. That's identity theft. Number three, healthcare. The average American now spends $26,944 a year on healthcare. That's a lot. Number four, credit cards. Did you know that the average American has $16,048 in credit card debt? 
Now figure this out. I'm going to, listen, I think there's two views. You can use credit cards wisely by paying them off every month and getting the, the benefit. But listen to me, if you're the person who can't control your spending, then I'm going to tell you right now that today when you walk out this door, you better take your credit cards and you better cut them up and you better start paying them off. Because if you're not responsible enough to pay it off at the end of the month, all you're doing is making yourself a slave to the credit card company. So you got $16,048 on the average. So you got two views. I can use them wisely or I avoid debt by not dealing with them. Did you know that the average debt for the American person is $137,063. Now listen, I know, I understand, part of that's mortgage figured in for some people. But figure that out. If that's the average American person, that means as a couple, you might have the average debt of $274,000 in debt. Now figure that out for some of you who know what you make. How will I ever pay this off and how can I ever save. Cost of living in the last 50 years has increased 816% and budgeting is almost null and void in most Americans' lives. So how do I become financially wise? I have to transform the way I think about money. I have to think about money from a biblical perspective, not a worldly perspective. Matter of fact, there's the old saying, If it's not broke, don't fix it. But there's also the old saying that if it's broke, you better fix it, right? And some of you are financially broke. So the adage would be, I got to fix something. I have something I have to do has to change. Matter of fact, insanity, the old definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result, all right? Lots of churches have tried that and it's failed. Listen, lots of people in finances have tried it as well, and it continues to fail you over and over and over again. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you already got. Nothing. So how can I become wise financially? Number one, I transform how I think about money. Number two, I intentionally plan my money. Now, I don't like to do this all the time, but we're going to talk about, very simply, how I live By planning my money. If I intentionally plan my money, that means I'm telling my money what? What to do and where to go. Money? Talk to it if you have to. You don't have to, but you're going to go here. In other words, that means I got to take out a piece of paper and I'm going to tell my money where it goes before I spend it. Matter of fact, our small group, and we're going to offer an opportunity for you to sign up today uh, before you leave today, our life group did a, a sermon series, not a sermon series, a, a study last year uh, called I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. You can look it up online, IWasBrokeNowImNot.com. You can get all kinds of free information there. It's similar to Dave Ramsey. It's a six-week study. But in that, Joe Stengel, the, the guy who came up with this, he's a pastor at a church in North Carolina or was part, like on staff at a church, says this, income, what's Income. Oh, yeah, that's the income of money. That's the money I make, however that is. Income, the money I make, minus outgo. That's the money I what? Yep, spend. 
should equal, whoa, I can't spend, I can't spell, spend should equal zero, or what he says, exactly zero. See, here's the problem. Most of us, our income is a certain amount. So let's say we make $1,000. Our outgo, what is that called? That's called debt. That's called a negative balance. And the more negative balance you get, the more and more you get into debt. So if I'm $500 in debt at the end of this month, at the end of the year, how much debt have I accrued just in that situation or setting if I don't change anything? $6,000. On top of that, you're going to tell me that I'm supposed to save money? I'm supposed to invest in retirement? You're going to tell me that I'm supposed to give to the church? You're going to tell me that I'm supposed to be generous with people who are in need? Are you kidding me? I can't make ends meet. No, no, you can. You have to make hard decisions. You have to intentionally plan your money. And I know for some of you, this sounds like this is the dumbest thing ever. You're like, man, I've been blessed. I've been taught this. Listen, I want to encourage you with this, that if you were taught how to financially operate, you are in the probably top 10% in the United States. Most people are not taught how to be financially wise. Most people are not taught how to make smart decisions. Most people aren't taught how to balance a checkbook or how to maintain that I'm not in debt on a credit card, how to not pay for student loans, how to not go into debt over and over and over again. What we have got is we've got a society that says, I need it, I want it, I'm going to do whatever I got to have to get it, and it doesn't matter if I'm going to go into debt. As a matter of fact, most people my age wanted the stuff that their parents had that they had worked hard for 40 years for, but they wanted it right away. I, we love watching HGTV every now and then, but it blows me away the amount of young, middle 20s, upper 20s people were like, we want our dream home. And, and they're going and they're looking for this home and they're like, our budget's this. And their real estate agent shows them a house that's like $200,000 over their budget. And they're like, it's everything we dreamed of. Yeah. But a dream is not meant to be fulfilled overnight. A dream comes through as a result of hard work and commitment and dedication to saving and doing what is necessary so that you can have that. And you know what I found out? That oftentimes I'm working for stuff and then when it comes time to pay for it, it's like, oh, wait a second. I got this money saved up, but I don't want to spend it on that. You're like, I could, I could spend it in a, a whole nother ball, in a whole nother area of my life. I could be smart with this. I could give more with this. As a matter of fact, my wife and I are currently working on trying to pay our house off in the next five years. All right? And I'm working on that. We're sitting here going, man, do you know what 900 bucks a month is going to do for us? And you may say, well, $900. And when we moved here, we, were, we started first looking for houses to rent before we moved here. And the average rental was between $1,200 and $1,500 for a four- to five-bedroom house. We were looking for four-bedroom houses. We couldn't find anything close. $1,200 was the lowest we could find for a four-bedroom. I'm sitting here going, man, we were paying the house payment when we lived in Springfield for $900. I'm like, there's no way that dude's getting $300 extra bucks out of me. 
Now, if I'm renting the house out, I'm going to be like, yeah, you're going to pay it. Because <laughs> I know how you renters are. You trash my stuff, and then you get the heck out of Dodge thinking I should clean up all your junk. Income minus outgo should always equal exactly zero. So here's what you have to do at the start. If you know what your income is, and that means every bit of income you got, husband's job, wife's job, a little bit of extra pay here because you're working somewhere else or whatever else it is, then it makes it exactly zero. And you dictate and you tell your money exactly where it's going to go in every situation, including, listen, giving and generosity to those who are in need. You don't leave a positive balance here. You don't go, well, my income's 1000 my outgo's only 800 so I got 200 to do with whatever I want to do with it. No, 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 because guess what you now you're starting to do? You're going to waste 200 bucks. See, most of us operate with, well, don't, you, don't tell me how to spend my money. Oh, okay, my bad. Listen to Luke chapter 14. Listen to what it says. Now, this is talking about a number of situations, but listen, Luke chapter 14, verse 31. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him? Or suppose, I'm going to jump back up to verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. All of you know in some way, shape, or form where you started to do something and maybe you weren't able to finish it because of finances. Matter of fact, there's a house over by our house that when we go on runs or walks, it's a massive house. It's on like a three-acre plot, huge house, but it's unfinished. You can see it's unfinished stuccoed it, but they didn't finish the gutters. There's, I mean, you can see that there's, there's a door that they never put the door in. It's just a piece of OSB board oriented that's over the door. Whoever built the house, they wanted the biggest house they could get, but they weren't able to afford it. Instead of building a smaller house that they could afford, they maybe went high on the hog and didn't do it. So I have to learn to intentionally plan my money. Listen, if you go to IWasBrokeNowImNot.com, you can get a free download on how to create a budget. Free. So don't tell me it won't cost too much money. It's free. Free is free. It's free. You ever seen that free commercial lately? Free, 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 free. Free. It's not costing you anything. Intentionally plan your money. Listen, there's nothing unbiblical about that. You begin to plan and tell your money where it's going to go. So if I have $1,000 and I only make, or I make $1,000, then I begin to set it up. And listen, you may say, well, my rent's $700 a month. That only leaves me $300 to find a different place to live. You only have so much money. God never wants to put you in a situation where you are always in debt. Why? Because Proverbs says it very clearly. The borrower is always slave to the lender. Always. There's a key word in there. When you are in debt, you are owed or owned by someone else. Do you get that picture? The borrower is always slave. I think it's funny how we want to fight for the rights of people in the United States, but yet we're not willing to fight for our own right, and that's freedom from the slavery to the financial institutions that we have become so accustomed 
to thinking we have to please. Listen to me. Everybody's worried about their credit. You got to go in debt to get credit. No, you don't. No, you got to be wise. You got to be wise with what you do. Intentionally planning your money. Listen, I wish I could go super far in in depth more, but that's why we're going to give you a chance to sign up. Listen, Proverbs chapter 27 verse 30 says this, be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. A flock and a herd back in those days would have been the very thing that they were making their money through. So you pay attention to your flocks and be diligent to watch your herds. You watch your money closely. You don't have to be Scrooge McDuck, all right? You don't have to be Mr. Tightwad that never gives and never helps out. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I intentionally plan my money, I intentionally work in generosity into it. We budget for it. We take that extra money that we may have. We may say, we got, hey, we got $30 extra a month. Hey, guess what? We can afford to give to some, maybe it's to the church. Maybe it's to Annie Armstrong Mission Offering. Maybe it's to somebody who's in need outside. Maybe we got 50 bucks can help somebody pay a light bill because they're in a financial situation. Those are things that can help you out and help each other out. Listen to this. Forbes says, This is Forbes magazine said that 56% of American adults have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. When you combine the 33% who have nothing saved with the 23% who have a small amount saved. I have been blown away with the amount of people I've met who have told me they're in their 40s. I don't have squat for retirement. You going to work till you're 85? but we're slaves to automobile manufacturers because we go out and buy a car and finance it for seven years now. Man, when I bought my first car, I remember going in, first of all, I negotiated down, paid cash for it, went in to buy my, no, that's not true. Well, yeah, I paid for cash. I had whatever I earned, my dad told me, whatever you earn and put to a card, I'll, I'll match it. So we paid cash for my first car, 1000 bucks. I paid 500 he paid 500 um, That lasted about six months, totaled it. Um, Yeah, yeah, not good. Bought my uncle's 1974 Ford Grand Torino for 500 bucks. Got in a wreck three months later. Guess whose insurance went through the roof? Guess whose dad said, you're not responsible enough, you're on your own. Guess whose insurance was costing $1,200 a month for liability only? Not Not a month, sorry, six months. That was, that was bad. Yeah, a month, I wouldn't have been driving. Yeah. Guess who worked at Chick-fil-A 30 hours a week in high school to pay for his insurance? Guess whose dad did not bail him out and say, oh, okay, we'll help you out. Guess whose dad signed a piece of paper that said, you will not drive my personal car. (laughs) Guess whose dad's insurance company made him sign that paper? (laughs) Okay, you're getting the picture, right? And listen to me, parents, it's not your job to bail your kids out. It's your job to teach them biblical responsibility. Listen, I know the desire to want your kids to have the things you didn't. But the reality is, if inflation and the cost of living has gone 816%, you just need to teach your kids the biblical perspective of what it means to live financially responsible. 
You need to teach your kids that they don't have to go into debt $200,000 at college because you can go to two years of community college. We told our kids this point blank. Listen, you're on the Missouri A-plus program. You screw this up, it's your responsibility to pay for your college. You got two years free school. You're going to go to the community college. I can guarantee that unless another college comes in and offers you a scholarship for something. Academics, sports, whatever it is. You're responsible. Listen, I understand wanting to give your kids a foot up, but a handout is not helping. A hand up, big difference. Hand out, no. So I have to intentionally plan my money. 44% of Americans do not even have enough money to cover a $400 emergency expense. That's pathetic. Here's the third thing, and I know we're kind of all over the place, but I want you to think about this. If we are overwhelmed with our finances, we have to change the way we do it. Number three is this, that I use debt wisely and or minimally. Listen to me. You know your situation. You know your circumstances. You know where you're at. If you are not responsible, then you better cut up the credit cards. If you're the person who struggles going into a store and saying no, cut up the credit cards. Dave Ramsey talks about it all the time. He says that a credit card does not register pain in the brain when you spend the money. It doesn't. Matter of fact, put yourself to the test. Go get $300 out of the bank. Take that $300 and walk up to the counter. You know what your brain does when you're pulling out that money? Matter of fact, I was taught this consistently. If there's any doubt, queasiness, upset stomach, you're, something in your brain's telling you don't do it, guess what I always do? Goes back on the shelf. I walk away. The next day, is that necessity? Is it a need that I need? Is it a want that I want to fulfill? Listen, it's okay to have wants. I'll even explain it this way. Every paycheck, I take $20. And I put it in an envelope. And that $20 builds. To the point where I had saved up enough to buy Sarah a ring because my first three years here, every side job I did, I was taking up side jobs, work for Doug Hodges and do automotive. I would fix people's stuff in their house or something like that. Every side job I did, I would take that extra money and put away and then I'd do $20 every paycheck to where I could buy her a ring that I wanted to get her for our anniversary that I did promise her yes. <laughs> I did promise it when we first got married because I bought her a puny little heart-shaped diamond, the only thing I could afford, uh, and I just wanted to get her a better ring. But I worked hard. Three years. Saving. Working extra jobs. You hear that? You hear that? Working what? Extra jobs. I didn't go into debt. I didn't go into, you know what the jewelry store did too? Hey, we got a finance plan. Oh, Yeah. I even went into the store and said this, dude, I'm paying cash. You give me 3% off and I'll pay cash to you so you get it straight out. He goes, why would I do that? I said, because otherwise I'm going to put on my credit card. I'll get the points. You're paying the 3%. And he goes, so? And I went, okay, fine. Here you go. Put on my credit card. I get the points. I get the bonus. I get the cash back. He pays for it because it's coming out of that. All right. And then guess what I do at the end of the month? 
The whole stinking thing, gone. For those of you who carry a balance on your credit card, guess who's getting your money? Not you. Yeah. They love your money. Go take out a loan from the bank. Guess who's getting your money? Yeah. Your mortgage, 30-year mortgage. Some of you are like, man, 30-year mortgage, that's going to help me pay it off. Do you know how much in interest? You take a $200,000 mortgage. You know how much in interest if you pull it out the whole 30 years you're going to pay in on that house? Yeah, almost double what the house is worth. Who's getting rich? The bank. I have to use debt wisely and minimally. Do not go into debt. Avoid debt at all costs. Do whatever you got to do. If that means I got to take out an extra job, I get an extra job. If that means I'm delivering pizza, deliver pizza. If that means I'm driving Uber, drive Uber. If you are spending more than you're taking in, two things got to change. You got two choices. I make more money or I say no to the things I don't need. I use debt wisely and minimally because I either have to make more money or I say no to the things I don't need. Now listen to me. Here's the other, the other factor for those who are younger. Okay? You don't have to live high on the hog when you're young. Okay? Start small. Build up. Save for a house. Put a down payment on. Man, imagine how much you can save on a payment if you have a down payment to put down on the house. So I use debt wisely. Number four is this. I learn about money biblically. I told you you could read Proverbs. Matter of fact, I would challenge you to go home, read Proverbs, and evaluate every bit of Proverbs just from a financial perspective. You'll gain all kinds of wisdom on Proverbs. But I also want you to think about this. When I learn about money biblically, it allows me to operate in a world that God intended me to operate in the first place. Money is a necessary evil. I'll even say this. I had a discussion at one point with, a, uh, with an individual who wanted to buy a car, and I told him, I said, look, listen, here's the deal. A car is a necessary evil. Some of us want the nicest car. Listen, as a kid, I want the nicest car. I was going to fix it up, have a big old rock and sound system, nice rims, tin windows, new paint job, had all these plans, go and put it in car shows. And I got realistic. That cars, as they get older, unless they're a collector's car, go down in price. A car is a necessary evil. Most Americans function with this. I want my car to be nice, and I'm willing to pay to have a nice car. When the reality should be this, that car is used to make me money. That car is used to get me to and from the job that provides for my family. That car is used to get me to and from the job that provides so that I can give to the church or so I can give to the poor, so I can give to those who don't have clean water in Africa, so I can be generous to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more I learn about money biblically, the better off I will be. From a financial stewardship aspect, you have to remember this, that according to the Bible, God owns everything. What he has given, he has given to you to be a good steward with what he's given you. Your time, your talents, your treasure, in every way, shape, or form, he has given it to you so that you can be a good steward with it financially. So here's what we're going to do today as we close out. Starting in two weeks, right? Wait, uh, two weeks. 
We're going to start a Sunday morning Bible study here at the church. It's going to be a six-week thing, and I want, to do, I want you to do this. If you are interested in taking it, we're going to do the same thing we did in our, in our life group, but if you are interested in taking that Sunday morning Bible study, it's I was broke, now I'm not, on Sunday mornings, then sign up on the connection card, place it on the back table back there, and let me know. We will talk about everything under the sun, from budgeting to being financially wise, but I want you to understand this, that there's work to it. I'm not going to do it for you. I had an individual one time tell me the same thing. Man, will you take my money and you control it? No. Learn discipline. The Bible talks about being a person of discipline. You have to learn to discipline yourself. You have to learn to say no to the things you don't need and yes to the things you do need. You have to prioritize. You have to budget. You have to be the one who takes responsibility. Otherwise, you will always fail. It's not the church's responsibility to babysit you. It's the church's responsibility to equip you, listen, for works of service. That includes finances. So if you're interested... Sign up on that. Sign up on the connection card. Place it on the back table. If you're not, we won't have it. I guess you guys all got finances figured out. That's fine if you got it figured out. But if you need help financially, I would encourage you to sign up. It's a six-week course. I was broke. Now I'm not. You can go buy it if you want to. It'll cost you 80 bucks. We've already bought the materials. We'll help you walk through the process. We want you to be financially smart. Number two, read about biblical finances. You could go to Dave Ramsey. You can go to I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. There's all kinds of places you can go to learn, understand, relate to, and learn about biblical financial stewardship because that's the point. And listen to me in all of this, and I hope you hear me out. All of this is under the assumption that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is this, that Jesus paid every debt we could not pay. That Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate riches that we receive because we receive life as a result of his death. Because he paid for the sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves. He was generous while we were still against him. And so the reality is this, that your first financial decision is really a spiritual decision. Are you willing to put your life in Christ's hands first? Are you honoring him? Do you want to give him your life so that he can take control? Otherwise, there's going to struggle and fail. Let's pray. I want to encourage you to sign up. Place it on that back table back there. We're going to pray. We'll be dismissed with this song. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you gave the ultimate in giving your son Jesus. And God, we can talk about finances. We can look at the big picture, but the reality is if 96% of Americans are overwhelmed financially, then this is something that has to be addressed. It is not the main topic. The main point is that Jesus' death on the cross pays for what we needed, salvation. But God, I pray that today we would be people who function with a plan, who live wisely in obedience, that we intentionally plan our money because you have given it to us freely. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.